So what did you want to talk about? Work with the Little Mermaid? Yeah. It's absurd. I hate Ariel. <laughs> Ariel is <laughs> petulant, stuck up. She says, I want to do this. And <laughs> Dad says, no. So she does it anyway. And then she gets in trouble and has to be saved by Dad. And what does she do after that? She does it again. <laughs> Dad is the only one that makes a rational choice. He's the only one that has to really weigh up the pros and cons. He has the crisis decision at the end. Do I force my daughter to stay or do I let her go? She's the one going, wow, I want legs. I genuinely feel you've projected your relationship with your puppy onto this film. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today, I'm going to let Luke explain what this is. <laughs> this is take seven. Bass can't introduce this podcast. It's true. He doesn't understand what we're doing. <laughs> Throughout the year, we watch several more things than we actually um, record podcasts. So this is our end of year review and we're going to give you some uh, short thoughts on uh, several things that we watch that we won't do a podcast on. Yes. And um, for good or bad. And actually that's a, that's a good point because one of the reasons we're not going to do certain podcasty episodes on things is because um, I have made a commitment to not just rag on things I don't like. I don't want this podcast to just be me going, I didn't like a thing, here's why. Because um, I don't think that's that's good. It's not good for your well-being. It's not, or anyone else's. I much prefer talking about things I like, which is one of the reasons why we stopped sort of doing things based around whatever happened to be in the cinema that week because after Atomic Blonde, where I was just like, I was bored watching this film. I watched this film specifically for a podcast that I didn't want to record <laughs> about a film I didn't want to see. And it's just, why are we doing this? We, there's so many better things we can talk about. So that's one of the reasons uh, we've had like this shift, and I hope uh, people are enjoying that. that. But That we're going for more positive reviews about yeah. things we like. But, but if you have thoughts on that, then do get in touch on Twitter yeah. at The Story Toolkit. Only if you agree with me, because it's not changing. I I, I'm not. I'm not going to give. Oh, this is happening. Yeah, it's not. It's listeners, not. This is happening. It's not yeah. changing, listeners. No matter what you say, it's not changing. Um, and the story toolkit.wordpress.com is the website where all the, I will uh, burn this episodes. podcast oh, to the ground. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, and as always, we re- we we uh, gratefully receive reviews of any stars. Yes, any. I've I've given this podcast a one star review. Did you give? Yeah, that's excellent. I know. I this I made I make this podcast. <laughs> I'm like I've given it one star because there is really only one star on it. Ooh, B, right? Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to talk about something. So, by the way, the reason I went into that preface about we like to focus on things we like, a lot of the th- reasons we haven't done podcasts on the things we're going to mention is because I, did, I didn't like them. Mine are all positive, I think, bar one. Oh, some of mine are not. Okay, let's really get into it. Let's oh, do it. Dang. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, okay. Or do we want to warm up? So let's talk about Stranger Things 2, which we both really liked. I really liked Stranger Things Yes, too. it was really good. Um, 
It was it was lovely actually. So we one of the re- one problems I don't know what to talk about. It doesn't have the interest, same clue. Well, this is why we haven't done a. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? No, it starts off like that. Did you not notice? Because so we one of our earlier podcasts was on Stranger Things one and and, and the thing that um, uh, I think I pointed it out. I think I cracked Stranger Things and I taught you how it works. I can't remember. Let's say yes. Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Bass taught us is the cluing in Stranger Things. Oh, is that not true what you just said? No, 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 is he? Oh, I forgot. Ninety nine percent of. I forgot it's possible. Um. Uh. Yeah. Was that each of the characters or group, uh, sets of characters had different um, yes clues, and if they could all just get together, then they'd work everything out. So we know what's going on, but the characters yes. don't. Uh, but the beginning of season two works in much the same way, but it, it changes after two, three episodes. I seem to remember, but I, oh. but I noted that they were using a similar, oh. similar technique because you had the whole, um, uh, the whole mapping out in crayon. Oh yeah, yeah. Didn't you? But that was way later into the season. That was early. Oh, pretty early. I, 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 I can't remember. One of the interesting things it. about Strange Things too, though, was uh, I brought this up with two people. One of my favorite, ep- my favorite episode is not well liked yeah I didn't know it was not well liked in general but well yeah. uh, not, no, I, I, th- I get not why liked. though because it's got nothing to do with the mind player yeah true so I get why people be like why are we watching this one so it's called character development it's relevant it's, it's to do with the world it makes sense isn't it in the hero's journey the light halfway point <laughs> but I think I think the problem with that episode uh, might also be it came too late into the show you think? Yeah, because by that point you're really invested in what's going on with the mind flayer. No. So it feels a bit like she has amnesia, you know, that old chestnut of <laughs> how do we get the characters not to resolve something where we give them amnesia or a subplot yeah. that doesn't go anywhere. And I can get why some people would feel that way about it. To me, I felt like it's it makes perfect sense. They set it up in the first episode. The opening credits of the first episode set up number eight. Yeah. It's totally fine. Uh, I just felt like um, I didn't really care. The episode we're talking about, by the way, is the one where Eleven goes on runs a, away, a, yeah. runs away on a city jaunt. Yeah, I just felt like I I didn't care. Didn't I? Didn't uh, I wasn't interested in I it. Re- I, I really didn't like the character she was with. But then at the same time, <clears throat> I was thinking the whole point of the second season was they're wrapping up everything to do the upside down, and season three is going to be about those guys. So I was really surprised. That uh, spoilers for Strange Things too. Jeez, yeah, should have led with that. Um, I was really surprised that um, that they were going that they've brought back the upside down. Yeah, I thought that it's done. Now we're going to focus on those kids, and I'm like, okay, now I'm okay. I'm up yeah. for seeing those kids because it's not going to be in the way. Did you hear, by the way, that it's, it's uh, is it Duffer Brothers, the guys? Yeah. Make it? Did you hear them talk about um, the problems they had with season two? No, writing it. No. So they left so many tidbits at the end of season one mm. that they had a real hard time, like carrying up, like picking up those threads and resolving them. Oh. So they wanted to end season two on a cleaner break. So the only uh-huh. tidbit you get is that is that post credits ah. or um, that final final shot. Oh. <coughs> strange. Uh, things. Ah, yeah. Good segue. Should we move on? No, no, no. Because, <laughs> because what I do want to talk about with Strange Things too, is two very important things. One, they killed off Sam, which I was, I I, I have not forgiven them, <laughs> um, okay. because he had just gotten out, he got to Mount Doom and back. The guy 
gets to be with an underwriter for the rest of his life. He deserved it. I was so glad that Sean Astin popped up. I didn't know he was in it. No, neither did I. And I'm just really upset that he didn't make it through. <laughs> because he was awesome. Particularly when he solved the um, the map. Yeah. It's just, he's great. I love that character so much. And uh, they killed him. And so I'm going to kill them. The other thing is... Uh, <laughs> the other thing is... Um, uh, Paul Reisler, isn't it? Paul Reisler is... He's the scientist. He was from My Two Dads. Nope. He's the scientist in in the in the thing who coordinates them when he's he's got the microphone. He's oh, that guy. Oh, okay, okay. I yeah, love yeah, him. Yeah, I love him. He's amazing, and I loved him as soon as he walked home. Like he's great. Okay, he's the evil Matthew Modine character this time round. Whatever. He's so cool. I'm I'm loving this. And then he turned out not to be evil. <laughs> I'm like, this is even better than I thought. I love it. So, like when he when when they're talking about you know what do they do with Will. And one of them goes like, well, you know, it'll kill the kid. And he just goes, say that again. Like, tell me that again, right? It's like, you, you know, we're not killing the kid. And I'm just like, oh, he's cool. Uh, so I was really worried all through the Stranger Things too that they were going to kill both of those characters off. They killed one, so they are, I will only, I will only slay one of the brothers. <laughs> I presume there are two. Quotes that are going to get taken out of context. <laughs> if that happens... Uh, yeah, um, so that was I really yeah we so really, I really, liked, we really liked it. That was good. Um, cool, right? My turn. Okay, Baywatch. <laughs> I didn't see Baywatch, and I really wanted to. Baywatch is brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. T- uh, and uh, sentences that will be taken out of context. <laughs> In many ways, that's worse than saying you're going to slay one of the Duffer brothers. <laughs> Baywatch is terrific. It is terrific. And if, like... It looked really fun. People have missed the point of Baywatch. Baywatch is essentially 21 Jump Street on the beach. Yeah, that's what it looked like. rips the hell out of I saw in the trailer there was that great scene where they're, like, talking about how they went and they did, like, this buddy cop... You know, like, a ridiculous cop explosions thing. Yeah. And, like, oh, it's lifeguard duties. Oh, it's lifeguard duty. That's not a thing! Like, lifeguard... What was it? What's the phrase? Oh, I can't remember. But it's like the, the policeman is explaining that lifeguards don't get to do this. I'm like, this is brilliant because this is absolutely the correct... And the fact that it's The Rock doing it... Yeah. I This it only cements further my, my feeling that the major problem with Tropic Thunder is Ben Stiller is in it instead of The Rock. Ben Stiller should have just written and directed it because he did a good job, but he should have cast The Rock in the role. <laughs> yeah, because everyone else is mocking themselves. Oh, Downey Jr. is the is like mocking serious actors. Oh, okay. Jack Black is mocking comedy actors. So you ben need Stiller's, an action star mocking. He's not an action star. They needed someone like Vin Diesel or The Rock to play that role, and The Rock would have stormed Tropic Thunder. It would have been amazing. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Tropic Thunder Two: Tale of Jumanji. That might be fun. <laughs> I like the trailer. I thought that could be fun. Really? Yeah, it could be fun. It might be rubbish, but it might be fun. I saw an article um, uh, ripping into that for uh, lack of, I think, diversity or females in the cast. And then I saw, and I, I looked at the poster and thought, okay, maybe they've got a point. Saw the trailer and thought, well, clearly they've missed the point of this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, Baywatch. If you did, <laughs> the opening scene of Baywatch is. Uh, somebody uh, dra- uh, drowning, the rock running in slow motion, diving into the ocean, carrying them in slow motion, pecs rippling 
glistening in the sun, the Baywatch logo appears in the ocean behind him and a dolphin comes out and does a somersault. <laughs> like this is the best opening scene of a movie. I've seen. I was sold on the film before you told me that. <laughs> and I was like, this does seem great. We put it on Hannah and I put it on because we thought we just need something easy going. We're in one of those moods yeah. actually we just stumbled across a real gem. Ah <laughs> oh, yeah, beautiful. Baywatch. Yeah I do want to see that. Um, your turn. Oh, I have to pick one now. Yeah. Uh, what did I? What do I have from my list of things to talk about? I'm gonna pick Ah, Murder on the Orient Express. Was it good? Yes, I liked Murder on the okay. Orient Express. Can you not spoil it? Because I still don't know. <laughs> right. This is that's good because I want to get. I'm not gonna spoil Murder on the Orient Express. Okay. But when I saw the trailer for it, I I got angry because I thought if you want to build a sort of Poirot franchise. And Kenneth Branagh's going to be Poirot and everything. Cool. Why pick the one everyone knows? You don't pick the famous one, right? You pick, you save that for the second one. And the first one, you do something a bit more obscure to get people in. And then people get excited for the second one, which will be Murder on the Orient Express or whatever. And everyone I've talked to does not know <laughs> who who done it in the Murder on the really? Orient Yeah. Everyone. And I'm like, Philistines, all of you. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's her most, it's, I'm pretty sure it's her most famous. It is the one that's clearly been adapted the most, and yet people don't know who done it. Nope. Just boggles my sleuth-like mind. But uh, I did like it, and I didn't like it. <laughs> okay, what so, didn't you like about it? I liked a lot of it. I thought Brunner was a wonderful Poirot. I knew, yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, he, there's some there's some great stuff. Like uh, there's there's this this great moment. It's not a spoiler, but there's a great moment where he's he's yelling at someone for fixing books, mm. you know, um, accountant books, and he goes, "Your books they're full of the, oh, what is the English word? What is the English word for for the chocolate? The chocolate that's all sticky fudge? Yeah, it's full of the fudge." <laughs> it's just and he carries on without missing a beat, and it's just like it's such a he does it so beautifully. Uh, it's really nicely done. It's really uh, enjoyable. Um, the cast is great because they just, stuck, you know, they, it's got Ray, uh, Daisy Ridley's in it. Oh, is it? Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. Uh, Josh Gad, Olaf from Frozen. He's in <laughs> cool. it. Uh, Johnny Depp is in it. Um, Willem Dafoe. Um, wow. It's one hell of a cast. It's a really great cast. My one real issue with it. And I have a real issue with it. Okay. Is one of the reasons I loved Murder on the Orient Express growing up was I loved the train. I loved the train. I loved watching the train go through Europe and the the, the, the homeliness of the train. And I felt that was always great because I loved being on the train. So when there's a murder on the Orient Express, that's not a spoiler. When there is a murder on the train... It's like, oh, it's it's like because everyone's trapped in the train and yeah. right? It's just great. And I got really upset with the fact that it's all green screen. Ah. And I could just tell that everything that the the windows are green screen. And that while they have a set for a train, it's not an actual train set. The, As train, in the windows don't exist. The windows are the the windows on the train set behind them would have been the green screen, which yeah. is where they're putting all the imagery of yeah, the the European 
landscape. Mm. And when there's scenes where they are outside of the train, they are clearly on a set. Right. Um, and because it's set winter, it should be really cold, but it's obvious that it isn't cold. Mm. And it's just one of those things where it's like, um, this this is probably CGI because to get all those actors together to do the film, uh, you probably had to do it on a set and be able to call people in really quickly. You couldn't mm. ship people out to places because everyone has contracts with all these franchises and everything. They all need to be in a certain area close by or whatever. I was actually thinking about how few of the scenes probably the actors are actually being filmed on the same day. Um, because really? You, yeah, because you can do lots of little edits like that mm. um, and stuff. And I was just looking at it and, like this, and it, there's a part of it that felt like... Um, I got kind of annoyed because I could see the strings. If that makes sense. Do you think it's the, okay? For so, I've never watched any of the Poirot yeah. stuff. Would you recommend uh, as a newbie that I start somewhere else, or is it a decent enough place? Oh no, I, I I would. I think it's. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think there's no problem with watching it. Um, the I I might say like if you really want to watch it for the first time, Murder on the Orient Express. Maybe you should watch the original with Sean Connery as. One of the characters. He wasn't Poirot, but it, I think it, I think it was Pete Neus- Peter Ustinov who was Poirot. Uh, maybe watch that Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, because um, it's better. But um, I really liked it. I really liked Brunner. It was like watching a play. Okay. Uh, and which makes sense because you know it's Brunner. Yeah. But I really liked it, and I would love to see another one. Are I they just doing re- another. Uh, they they end it with a hint that he's going to go on a boat cruise on the Nile. So which is, which death one? on the Nile. Death on the Nile. Okay. Uh, spoilers. There's a death on the <laughs> Nile, um, and I would love that to be the case. Um, and I hope if they do that, that they actually throw some real money behind the production and set it um, on the Nile. On the Nile in 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 Egypt on a boat with because, a real death. Uh, no, that's that's taking it a little too far. But. Um, Again, Death on the Nile. I know exactly who done it. I know how they done it. I know all of it. Um, but I would, I would love to see. I would love to see Bronner be Poirot again. I'd love it. No question. I just, as I say, literally, it, it, it. One of the reasons it feels like a play is it feels like you know, on a play, you don't have. It's like a set. Mm. You know, right? And that's. It's just one of the things that annoyed me. It's like. Anyway, other than that, uh, it was really nice. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's a great poirot. He's a really great poirot, actually. I was surprised at how good he was. He he just came on and he was like, "I am poirot, but not a poirot you've seen before. But I am actually fully." It wasn't like a revamp or a re- he he was just poirot, but just with a lovely little take on him. It's really great. Okay, enjoy it. I wanted to mention Jim and Andy. Yes, go on. Jim and Andy is for those who don't know, it's a, a documentary that's just popped up on Netflix. Which is, um, uh, it's it's an interview with Jim Carrey um, with uh, all this footage from when he filmed Man on the Moon that um, they've suddenly been allowed to release, which is of Jim Carrey going full method <laughs> filming it. So he he just becomes Andy Kaufman during the shoot, and um, uh, if you remember Man on the Moon. Uh, or, or even the life of Andy Kaufman. Uh, Andy had this other character, Tony Clifton, who was full-on jerk, like lounge singer jerk, obnoxious. And he goes full method into Tony Clifton on set as well. Wow. 
<laughs> uh, and there was this big spat with um, this big fake spat uh, that Andy cooked up with his writing part writing partner with Jerry the King Lawler, who was a professional wrestler at yeah. the time. Uh, Jerry Lawler's in Man on the Moon. Yes, and Jim's going. <laughs> Jim is deliberately winding Jerry up on set to the point where like he does smack Jim Carrey. I mean, it's it's a really great interesting documentary wow and and you actually you see the because I, th- I when I when I saw the trailer I thought this looks really interesting but I also wondered if it would be a bit cringy um, mm. seeing some uh, like uncomfortable watching somebody be, be method and having to watch everybody else around him cope mm. um, with that um, but actually it's quite illuminating and also tells you a lot that maybe you don't know about Jim Carrey and actually how good he is he's very good he's really really good I've always loved Jim Carrey I mean I'd like I, you know we've said before Dumb and Dumber is yes. one of my all time favourites but I love, I love his other his, the, the other really silly stuff as well I can imagine one of the reasons he probably threw himself into it was partly because at that moment his career was pull funny faces and be weird yeah, and he, he was, was like, "I'm not. I'm, he's doing his his most beloved comedian, right? He's like, I want to show people I'm doing this properly. Yeah. Like he he went full. I'm guessing he went full method because that was the thing you do to get Oscars. That's what Oscar. Right. That was he the, got the Oscar, didn't he? No, oh, he didn't. No, he probably didn't. I don't think he got nominated. Really? No, he's Jim Carrey. He's a comedian. He doesn't get yeah. nominated for Oscars. Like, Jim Carrey's been trying to be a dramatic actor for ages, right? And people won't. It's it's not. And it's like I think part of that must have been. He wanted to show he wasn't mocking Andy Kaufman. He was he, yeah. he was like doing it like a, a serious actor. He says like because at that point he he didn't audition for movies. He right. was a multi multi million yeah pound, like it, in the same year he had um, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and um, Cable Guy. Uh, Cable Guy, yeah, they, they all. I think they'd all. Uh, he had like three enormous movies come out within a year. Like it was 94. the Mask. The Mask. Thank you. It was the mask. Yeah, they all came out the same year, yeah. and all of a sudden he's just walking into jobs like he can do anything. Yeah. He had to audition for Man on the Moon. Wow. Yeah. So sent in the audition tape of him doing uh, the Andy Kaufman Mighty Mouse piece, where he's miming to it, yeah. which which is in the movie as well. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. They play you the the audition tape in the um, uh, in the documentary. So I mean, if like if you ha- if you is- there's a clip I saw uh, of. Danny DeVito saying like this is exactly like when when Andy yes right yeah 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 because exactly. they, they've got the cast of Taxi yeah. to play the the their characters in the Taxi bits yeah uh, in the Taxi segments he is just movie. frank to me now yeah yeah I, I had a harder time seeing Danny DeVito be Danny DeVito then, instead of Frank yeah. than than I'm watching Jim Carrey be Andy Kaufman we're gonna get weird with it <laughs> I only got a few years left <laughs> yeah so yeah Jim and Andy is is, is wicked yeah I like it. Okay, yours or my one, um, and I should just talk about it. it's always sunny because I always want to. Um, okay, let's talk about. I'm just going to get it out of the way. Dunkirk, Dunkirk, an aggressively annoying film. <laughs> I have never seen a director so actively antagonise their audience. <laughs> just ridiculous, and and critics are just like, oh, it's so intelligent. Oh, it's so this. Like, no, it's just bad. The reason it doesn't make sense is not because it's smart, it's because it's bad. <laughs> I was watching the film, and... Oh, I don't even know... Oh, 
Okay, how do, where do we start with how stupid this is? Okay. It goes... the There's three different groups in this film. There's Tom Hardy in an airplane who apparently has it in his contract that if he's in a Christopher Nolan film, his voice now must be muffled. So you've got an airplane that's going wugga, 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 like that, and he's wearing the Air Force mask and going. So I don't know what he's saying. Okay. I'm guessing he's in a plane and it's World War Two, right? It's about as much as I could work out from that. Anyway, he's he's in a plane and it says one hour, and then there's a boat and it goes one week, and then it goes uh, and then there's a bigger boat, like a huge boat, whatever mm. they're called, and it's like one. No, the small boat's one day and the other one's one week. And you go, okay, I saw this with Jason. After the film, Jason and I had two completely different views of what the time periods were. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought that uh, the one hour took place, was the last hour of the other two time periods as well. Right. Jason didn't. Jason thought that this thing was... you had the one week and then there was the one day and then there was the one hour like there was right. I can't remember what we were thinking we we both talked about it and, like, and then we realised it doesn't matter because we don't care enough <clears throat> about it um, so you have these three different time periods it's not clear when any of them happen so you see the same thing three times but in a weird order Yeah. so you're constantly and then everyone looks the same Everyone's got black hair. There was there was a bit where there's one character who hasn't spoken for the whole film and it turns out he's not English. He's French. And I remember going, he hasn't spoken? I thought he did. Oh no, it's one of the other people in the dark with black hair who's white. This is the point that uh, Will made when we did the Band yeah. of Brothers. Will also did not like Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, because he, he basi- it basically, it was supposed to be like evoke the chaotic nature of Dunkirk by being completely and utterly bewildering. And like the, the people were talking about it, it's really smart, you have to work out. Like, you don't have to be smart to work it out, you just have to be patient. And I'm not patient anymore. I'm done. <laughs> like, you, there's no reason to make it this completely incoherent. It's not. It's not smart. It's just incoherent. It's just badly edited, and makes no real sense. And things happen, and it's just time passes. Things happen. Stuff time that, passes. Yeah. <laughs> time passes, but not in a coherent manner. Anyway, so I just I got bored by Dunkirk. I was just watching it, waiting for things to happen. Plus, I, to be fair, I did think Andrew Garfield was in the film. So a lot of the film, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the film, I was going. Well, I'm waiting for the main character to show up. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's that's Hacksaw Ridge, but that's, that's a different film entirely. Oh. But yeah, so you have Tom Hardy, you have Cillian Murphy, not Andrew Garfield. And I just, I it was, the thing about it is like, it's really well made. Um, and Kevin Nolan has a really great eye. Like he, he knows how to stage a film. He's really talented, but his ears don't work. He just his ears. Something's wrong with his ears. His you can't hear his films. Sorry, I've been trying to work out. I was like Kevin Nolan. Something. I said. Ke- I said Christopher Nolan. Said, said, I thought you said Kevin. Actually, did I say Kevin? I don't know. Kevin Nolan's a really awesome comic book artist. I think you said Kevin. 
Devin second Nolan. guessing myself now. Devin Nolan. We could go back and check the tape. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan has a really great eye. His ears don't work. Okay. And he doesn't... It's not like Memento, where you piece it together as it goes through and it's intriguing. This isn't a mystery, Dunkirk. He's like, oh, what happened next? Ooh, it's, ooh, intrigue. It's just that you're supposed to be feeling the chaos of war and you don't because you can't work out when anything is happening or where. I believe a boat sinks three times in the film and I got confused why and who. I can't remember. It was just, uh, it was annoying to keep up with. Okay. I've never seen a film do that before. I've never seen a film like seriously. So here's here's the thing that happens. This is, I actually this is this is an interesting thing about about it. When you cut from one thing to another, the audience's mind inherently creates a unity of time and space. Mm. That's what you do when you cut. Okay. This film actively cuts and creates and but it isn't cutting with a unity of time and space so you're constantly fighting your natural inclination to create a unity of time and space every time it cuts Mm. you naturally want to go this event then goes to this event or if it's in different time periods you connect those time periods in your head Mm. you instinctively try to unify things that's just how you how the human mind works that's how cuts work this film doesn't understand that and cuts wrong, and so you're con- and so every time it cuts, based I'm like, on what you've said, surely they did that on purpose. Yeah, but they did it wrong. Right. Okay. Because when you do the cut, you're supposed to like, for example, we did that episode of Firefly out of gas. Mm. It cuts through time and space, but it cuts from one time period to another time period, and the time periods are not presented necessarily in linear fashion. Right. But you can piece it together every time they cut. You yeah, know yeah. where you are. In this one, you don't. In this one, it cuts, and you have to take a second to work out, to piece things together, because you've seen, uh, for example, uh, one sequence already, but from another point of view. So when it cuts back to that, you have to remember, because it's not clear which one happens first. So you're not sure, okay, did the scene I just see happen before the scene I saw? Like I'm seeing the boat sink for a second time. I saw it sink before from someone else's point of view. Has that happened yet? Or is it about to happen now? Does that mean the stuff that happened before this happened? Do you know what I mean? You, you mm. start losing these things. So every time it cuts, this is why I say it was an aggressive amount of annoyance, <laughs> right? Because every cut, it was like forcing you out of the film to put things together. I say you lose yourself, right? Yeah. Don't you? It's like I can't get into this film because every time you cut, I have to stop and work out where I and am. Remember you're sat in a room. Yeah. And it's just like, why am I, why am I sitting through this? That's so I really, I really didn't like it, um, and I, I thought it was really pretentious. You have, you have ragged on it enough, though, that it's made me want to see it. Uh, so I wasn't going to bother. Not, it's not even interesting enough to watch. I think <laughs> it, it was really. Dis- I think it's like it could have been really good because uh, I think no. Again, I think no one's a really good filmmaker. I think he's really, really good, um, but he ha- he has just. I don't. I think he's just pretentious. I, I just I wish he wasn't I don't get the sound thing because it's not an anomaly now he's done it he did it A Dark Knight I had an issue understanding yes. uh, wow Bale uh, sorry not in fact Bale and and Hardy, and Hardy yep. in uh, Dark Knight Rises Interstellar had the problem I haven't seen that yet you couldn't but, hear the dialogue really because the rumbling noises from Hans, Hans Zimmer's soundtrack was just ridiculous so yeah. Interstellar had the problem Dark Knight Rises had the problem now so it's clearly Kurt's very conscious to, uh, uh, 
decision to to make that. Yeah, he, dra- he drags out. Sound that way. But the thing is, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be that way. So you strain to hear and you mm. miss things, which also knocks you up the film. Yeah. Which is why when people talk about Nolan's work, it's always intellectual. It's never emotional. Right. It, and it was it was a criticism, and one he's acknowledged. Like, yeah, I'm trying to put more emotion into my films, and he's he's not he's I don't know. I just uh, I think I think he's um he's going the way of someone like Ridley Scott. Right, where it's just like he's getting more and more warped into his own mind and forgetting he has an audience. I, I, I think it's I mean? interesting. I think let's cleanse your palate with. I am um, annoyed because I actually really like Nolan. I think he. I whenever I, I hear, do. I whenever I hear him talk uh, about filmmaking and stuff in his films, I'm like, he just sounds such like such a lovely guy, such a smart guy, um, and such a genuinely good, talented filmmaker. And it drives me crazy when I watch his films like this because I'm watching him slowly decline as he becomes more and more incoherent. It's just really upsetting. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a real shame. Let's cleanse your palate with a movie that I know you liked. Spider-Man Homecoming. (gasps) (laughs) You just saw it, didn't you? Yeah, only recently because it it just came up on um, Virgin Movies so we, um, we, uh, we rented it. Mm. It was, it's been on my list to watch since you said oh my god you see isn't Spider-Man. it great uh, it's great doesn't it just put the joy it's the best Spidey movie now, yeah I I loved um, Amazing Spider-Man yeah um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 had all sorts of problems but Amazing Spider-Man that, the yeah. one with um, yeah uh, I didn't like Reptile. the lizard fight too much but uh, at the end no I thought the climax was a bit weak but other than that I really enjoyed I'll it I'll be honest I wasn't as fussed by the climax in Homecoming as, as the rest of the movie Oh, I quite it liked bad. it. It was it was fine. I I loved Andrew Garfield. I thought it was great. And, yeah, Andrew Garfield, I really really loved. But obviously, he was a thirty year old um, playing a teenager. Yep. There are issues there. Yes. Uh, but if you're going to re re reboot a franchise, oh, I just like like just it's get fun. into it. Yeah. It's like scene one. He's Spider Man. Yeah. Oh, great. We don't have to like. There's no there's no radioactive. No. Spider-Man. No. I I love how they don't mention Ben. Oh my god, they don't. They don't. There's, it's just in the subtext. There's a wonderful bit where he, uh, uh, Washington, I think, no, it was the um, the ferry after the ferry. Uh, remember, Spidey, the ferry gets smashed in yeah. half. Spidey doesn't do it. Iron Man saves the day. Yeah. And there's that wonderful scene where Tony's like, you know, and if those people died, that's on you. And if you died, that's on me. Yeah. And I don't want that responsibility. And he takes back the suit. And he sends him home in a t-shirt. When he gets back, Aunt May is spinning out of control. Do you remember? She goes, I called, I called, I couldn't find you, I couldn't find you. Yeah. She's spinning out of control. And, and Tom Holland, I, that's so good, those two. And he's just like, and he's trying to calm her down and explain that he lost the Stark internship and all that stuff, right? And you can tell she's losing it because of Ben. Right. Right? It, it, she's replaying the fear and terror over what happened with Uncle Ben again with Peter and Peter is trying to calm her down but at the same time he has to have an explanation for her and he can't tell her he's Spider-Man yeah. and I just thought, I thought it was I, I just I think uh, that those two I think Marisa Tomei is, is the best aren't they? so okay you, do, you, you just made me realise actually what I do what, what, what I loved about the movie that I hadn't quite realised before um, I don't feel like I was watching Tom Holland and Marissa Tomei and yeah. um, 
uh, Michael Keaton. I was just watching those characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Tom Holland is Spider Man. Yeah, he's always been Spider Man. He's always been Spider Man. Yeah, he's great. Marissa Tomei has always been. Aunt I May. love, I love her as Aunt May. It's the best Aunt May we've had. I, I love yeah. having an Aunt May that isn't just this walking heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I love, I, I love the idea that, um, that she's young enough that she could have a life without Peter, and that yeah. she isn't his actual mother. Yeah. That she's kind of accidentally stuck with him through circumstance. Yeah. I I think it just makes their relationship more beautiful. I also love I can't believe it. The Vulture is a crap villain. So that's the other thing. There's I no love. way out of this. They it's made crap. the shocker cool. They made the shocker cool <laughs> and they made the vulture cool. Uh I mean the vulture has the best the best Spider Man scene in any film. The one in the car. The one in the car. You don't even yeah. need to state which one it yeah. is. Everyone knows the scene you mean. It's in the car. When he works out. I love it because Spidey knows he's the vulture. Yeah. And is worried he's going to work it out. And as he's working it out, you can see Spider-Man going, he's working it out. Because <laughs> it's just great. Because he go because he comes up with alibis. Right? It's like when, uh, when he goes like, uh, he goes, yeah, kid, I, I recognize your voice. Haven't we met before? And he's like, no, no, sir. No, 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 sir. I've, I've been to your house. Oh, that's it. Yeah, but you weren't there for long, weren't you? <laughs> he's like, I was there. I was there for a while. Yeah, but you disappeared. Like, you always disappeared. Like, when you disappeared in DC. That must have been scary. <laughs> Being trapped in that elevator. You must have been happy in Spider-Man, wasn't there? I wasn't there, sir. <laughs> really? <laughs> And the light, the 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 traffic light turns green, but he doesn't move the car. And then he gets hooted, and he just drives forward. He goes, "I'm gonna give Peter the the dad talk." Then as soon as soon as she step closes the door, he just casually picks up a a gun. You remember? It just yeah, goes, yeah. Like, he doesn't show it to him though. Does he, he goes, just "Does she know? No, what? Then goes to the chest. I like that. <laughs> you just watch it. I'm just like this. This is why. And I I was watching that scene. I thought. So, fun fact: uh, in the draft, the current draft of the action book, which uh, is we're waiting on, but the current draft, I go into the problems with the five previous Spider-Man films. Yes, and the problems with the five previous Spider-Man films is they don't understand that for Spider-Man to work, it has to be an actual crisis decision: Do I take MJ to the prom? Do I stop the supervillain? That doesn't work if the supervillain is about to turn all of New York into lizards. <laughs> right, and so I said, "You want a smaller scale Spidey film?" And Homecoming came out, and it's like, "Well, now I have to, have like, to I, I acknowledge that, that in the book yeah, because yeah. they literally did that." That you know, the the end of this is a guy stealing some junk parts from Stark. There is no one, no one. It's such a, he could quite when Vulture says, "Stay out of my business, leave me alone, and just take my daughter to the prom." Spidey could actually just go to Homecoming. Yeah, right. He really could. It's an actual choice. So when he decides to do the heroic thing, it's an actual choice, right? Yeah. And so when Liz is upset with him, and it's like, yeah, she's right to be upset with him. You know? It's almost like Spidey is a job. You know, that's yeah. how it works. That balance has to be right. And they nailed it. And the other thing is that I loved about it was in this age where they CGI the hell out of everything. The best scene in this film is two people in a set acting. And it's a real set on location. There's no green screen. There's none of that. It's just a proper scene. Um, it's the best scene in the film. It's the best scene in the film. Yeah. And it's just... Oh, it's great. 
it's just great. And Michael Keaton. You know who wanted to be Vulture? Mark Hamill. Really? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I would have been okay with that. I would have been okay with right? that. Right? Mark Hamill's like, it's the, I, you know, I'm too old to play most villains. He's the only one I had a, ch- a chance at, but Michael Keaton's really good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just great. Choose another one. Let's push on. Okay. Uh, I've got to pick something else now. Uh, okay, I will pick Viceroy's House. Viceroy's okay. House. So, uh, I took Emma to see this. Okay. In the Tapsel. Uh, we went to the cinema to just we thought let's watch a film like, this looks like it fine like, how about it so we went to see it and it's got Gillian Anderson Scully and Hugh Bonneville Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey and they're smiling and it's set in India and it's the it's the last voice Viceroy of India before he hands India back mm-hmm. to the Indians and um, I suppose to someone else I guess um, and we thought oh this looks like it'll be a light, nice light fun drama I thought that's what it will be I was not prepared for what the film is really about, which is about it's the partition and how how many people died. Really? Yeah, because I we weren't taught that in school. We weren't taught that uh, India got sep- split in half, uh, and the sep- southern half, I think it is, was became Pakistan. And when this happened, it caused the largest migration of human beings in history, and some I I, I don't know. Uh, well over a million people died, if not millions. This year, it, wasn't it more recently as well than? It's 1947. I was going to say it was in the 1900s, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it's 1947, just after World War Two. Right. That's how recent Pakistan is as a country, and it, that's not taught. It's not taught. Oh, <laughs> it's not taught at all. And then people wonder in England go like, well, you know, like this one of the. I was talking about this with with Maxie, my brother-in-law, yeah. the other day, uh, like. People who voted for Brexit just don't get this. If you if England starts going around knocking on other countries' doors, going, "Hey, who wants a trade deal?" They'll be like, "Hey, do you remember the Opium Wars?" <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's why we're not trading with you. Everyone, everyone on the planet has their. Here's why we hate England's story. You know, and <laughs> the British aren't taught this. They're not taught. No. They're not taught the real history of their country. So um, we yeah. are taught. We were once a British Empire. Wait, how do we not be an empire? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> World so, War Two glory. So your Viceroy's house, by the way, is if I remember correctly, written and directed by an Indian woman. Because uh, at the end, they point out that the film's maker, her, her grandmother, was a, was during the migration. So the English are not the goodies in this no. movie. Well, no, the beautiful thing is the Viceroy and his wife are. Okay. They actually care and try to make it work. And it, it squarely, uh, the uh, a lot of the blame is placed on the fractured Indian leadership and the way in which Churchill divided them. Right. Uh, and they point out that the, the real reason that this is happening is Churchill can't let a stable India exist because a state there is a there's a there's a there's a canal. I think it's like the a port or a canal. There's some sort of topographical topographical thing which is key important for shipping. Right. And they can't let another country have control of it. Right. So they they basically divide um, India in such a way that they keep their interests and it and that keeps India destabilized, which means it can't become a power in the world. Which means it can't have self determination. Which means it's always going to be, and so on. You realize, yeah, it's it's that old chestnut, right? And it's just utterly destructive of the culture and the people there. Um, 
and uh, it's it was I, I we weren't prepared for it, and so Emma and I <laughs> were just crying because it was just like I didn't know all this tor- horrible stuff was gonna happen. It starts off light and funny, and it just goes into this hell. And there's a, there's a, there's some stuff in there, and I kind of wish I was watching. I was thinking this needed to be a TV series, not a film. You think it's it's too much for a movie? It needed to be a TV series because there's a bit there's a character in the film, very small part. The person they hire to draw the partition. When right. you think about it, yeah, you have to actually separate them. You have to draw a line, yeah, through the country. Well, what do you do? There's fields. You cut the field in half. Do you do? And he st- and he mentions like the difficulty, the sheer enormous difficulty in being able to do this, and it should take an enormous amount of time. And he has like a couple of months to do it. And so there's bits where he's just like. He just he just has to draw a line literally on the map. If you think about yeah, it, an yeah, actual yeah. map, and he literally just draws a line, and that's it now. That's in India. That's in Pakistan. Wow. So like a village has been cut in half, and and the guy who's doing it, he his conscience is going. I can't do this. This isn't right. I'm destroying people's lives, and they're going like, if you don't do it, someone else will, and you don't have any time. Like it's just got to be done. And so he's just trying to do the best that he can, and you're watching it. And the thing that's really nice about the film is it's not a, um, it's not a hate piece on on the British. Um, uh, it's it's what it really is is it's a hate piece on the British Empire. Okay. But not the British. Yeah. Because the thing that even Kipling understood, which was the British didn't see themselves, the the British genuinely thought they were civilizing the world, that they were the enlightened, and they're doing this good thing. And one of the reasons that Gandhi was able to do, have such an effect on the British Empire was because when the British were confronted with the savagery of their actions, they were appalled at it. Right. Because the British genuinely don't see themselves that way. Mm. And because they're not. They're just not. The British Empire was horrible, but the, the, the civilization wasn't. So the Viceroy was not horrible. The, the Gillian Anderson's lovely in the film or, or, or pretty much except for the really high ranking people who can make the decisions mm. like the British Empire people the other everyone else who has to do the work everyone else is just like this is a hell and they're trying to get out of it mm. they're trying not to have this thing happen and everyone it's just um, I thought it was really nicely done I was unprepared for it <laughs> <laughs> it was really good though I've been, I've been caught off guard with a movie before yeah I, Hannah's favourite movie is um, Robocop uh, it's that's one of her favorite movies, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. So I had no idea what that was about. <laughs> yeah, I think it was even like it, it was like Boxing Day. It was one of those. Ah, let's just put a movie on. What's your favorite movie? Oh, it's this. It's but we, we deliberately watched Hot Fuzz afterwards because I needed I needed my brain cleansed of the pain. Watched Hot Fuzz. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, yeah. so next one. Uh, I've not got a lot to say about this, but um, I've only just watched the first two seasons, and I know season four came on this year. But Line of Duty. Ah, oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. So Line of Duty um, is a BBC show, but they've put three seasons on Netflix. So uh, if you've got Netflix, I recommend you watch it. Um, uh-huh. Line of Duty is the closest. Uh, the British have come to creating an American TV show. That's the best way I think I can sum it up. Okay, so it's six episodes a season, right. and typically, um, I mean, the the big British shows 
Downton Abbey mm. is what we've I think what we're famous for. Downton Abbey, The Crown, right? You know, period dramas, think pieces, characters talking yes. and mulling and Intensely mulling and talking. English. Every time I, I I enter the living room and Hannah's watching The Crown, Queen Elizabeth is sitting there thinking. Yes. I'm like, does she do anything or does she just sit? And once I saw her pray. I haven't got to that bit. Spoilers. Right. Spoilers. Um, but Line of Duty, it's like it, it's just every episode, uh, certainly season one, it just like le- like breathless, has oh. these massive. I thought you meant points. like they're all chewing gum. And- <laughs> no. Um, no, it, 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 it left me breathless because just these huge turning points you don't see wow. coming and it spirals and gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And whoa, how are they going to go out like this? And Ooh. how are they going to catch the guy, etc.? It's re- really, really interesting. Oh. Uh, season one has a guy that's in Walking Dead as well, um, who at the time I don't think Hannah realised he was English. Ah. He plays an American Walking Dead. It's ah. fantastic. Ah. So yeah, it's really, really. Um, yeah, I do want to show. see that. I do want to see. I forgot all about it. I've, I've started watching The Crown, which I'm really loving, but um, I forgot. That's one you wanted to talk about, isn't it? Well, I haven't done the set. I just really love it. <laughs> move on. Um, okay, is it my turn now to pick? It's people? your turn. Yeah. I will pick Kong Skull Island. Okay. Which was boring. Is just boring. I've realised that this the sketches episode of our podcast is just this is just this is how you get all the shit out of your head, right? It was boring. I have watched these boring and terrible shows this year. Basically, anything I liked this year, we pretty much we both saw. We did a podcast on. Yeah. So the sketches thing is just all (laughs) the leftover. Is the I don't even want to talk about Kong Skull. It was it was boring. It wasn't terrible at all. Um, But John C. Riley improvised a lot of his lines, and he's the best thing in the film. It's not even funny. Like he's really good. Really. Yeah, and he's just like, how how do you make Tom Hiddleston boring? How do you do that? Oh, right. Yeah. How do you make Loki boring? <laughs> um, yeah, it was just dull. Uh, I think some people really liked it, but I did not care, um, which is unfortunate. It's not terrible. That's the best I can say. Of it. That's that, that's it. That's what you've got. I've got nothing. It is, it's boring. It's not terrible. Well, thanks for bringing it up then. Yeah. <laughs> got nothing else. I, yep, nothing. Okay. I'm in two minds of whether, about whether to bring this up or not. Go on. The Little Mermaid. Go on. The 1990-whatever-it-was right. Disney movie. It was just on at Christmas. Okay. And I rewatched it. And I loved The Little Mermaid. Okay. I, I loved it past tense okay I, I have no idea where this is going by the way I don't really know where it's going either but I suddenly realised at the end of the movie because um, it's it's quite a short movie this was uh, I was in the in the in the Radio Times the uh, the the TV guide um, billed it as the, um, the beginning of the golden age of Disney movies okay which I think which I think was probably true because like in the 90s you had uh, after Little Mermaid you had um, oh, Little Mermaid might have been late 80s uh, anyway, Little Mermaid, Lion King, um, and the ones that came after, like Lion King especially. This is. I you... thought Lion King was the end of the Golden Age. That was the like was the Golden Age two films. Apparently so. Why was the Lion King the end of the Golden Age? Because after that they didn't have a good one. Did they not? No. After the Lion King, like Disney was in trouble until Pixar came along. Yeah. 
Yep, Brandy the Golden Age was two. Like, if I remember right, after The Lion King, they didn't have a hit until Bolt or Tangled or something, until Pixar took over Disney. Well, well I don't know. So what did you want to talk about? Well, with The Little Mermaid? Yeah. It's absurd. I hate <laughs> Ariel. Ariel is <laughs> petulant. Stuck up. She says, I want to do this. And <laughs> dad says, no. So she does it anyway. And then she gets in trouble and has to be saved by dad. And what does she do after that? She does it again. Dad is the only one that makes a rational choice. He's the only one that has to really weigh up the pros and cons. He has the crisis decision at the end. Do I force my daughter to stay or do I let her go? She's the one going, wow, I want legs. I genuinely feel you've projected your relationship with your puppy onto this film. <laughs> <laughs> Why does my dog not understand that she cannot go out and marry Prince Eric? Why doesn't my dog get this? I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, I'm now seeing a lot of parallels. Yes. <laughs> You got a puppy, and now you empathise with the autocratic father figure in every Disney princess movie. <laughs> oh. Amazing. Shit. I feel like I've unearthed something here. <laughs> you unzip me, Doc. You unzip me. Amazing. Okay. Uh... Ah, but the seagull is funny there. If we're going to talk about unzipping, shall we get to... <laughs> Let's get to it. Star Trek War Crimes. Star Trek War Crimes, okay. So Star Trek Discovery aired this year, and... Um, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, we, um, we, we've we discussed this previously off mic, listeners, and we've agreed that Bass is going to get a certain window in which he gets to air his grievances. Um, I am going to put a timer on... And no matter where you are in your sentence at the end. I don't... You're done. Okay. Okay? Right. You're going to get three minutes. Okay. All right? Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to kick you off? Uh, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's start you off with the uh, the mutiny stuff. Right. So they, they want to make a point that the Klingons are these savage barbarians, but also have this highly... Cl- like war-like structure to their civilization and everything and um star trek seems to be filled with promotions through mutiny so they make a big point that like michael burnham played by a woman from the walking dead whose first name is michael for no discernible reason um just to be confusing i guess she um mutinies and spoilers for star trek discovery she mutinies and kills Michelle. No, no, she doesn't kill Michelle Yeoh, but she mutinies against Michelle Yeoh, which in turn will get her killed. And I'm sitting there going, Kirk became captain of the Enterprise through mutiny. We have had two mutinies. I remember when mutiny was a bit... There's a bit in Star Trek Next Generation where Picard goes, mutiny, on a Federation starship. It's, it's unthinkable. It's unheard of. Well, apparently, he's, Picard doesn't know Star Trek history. Because did I mention that this is a prequel series? For the original series, and they're all going, yeah, all we studied was Enterprise, which is kind of like saying, oh, I'm going to do Star Wars Episode Seven, but all I've studied is Ewok's Caravan of Courage. It's so <laughs> stupid and annoying. And 
And it's uh, why Spock has a secret sister that can mind meld with her with his dad across multiple light years, even though she's a human, he's a Vulcan, and he didn't mind meld with his son once. Why have we never mentioned? They go, trust us, guys. We have an explanation. Like, I don't see why I should trust you when I, you've clearly given me no reason to trust you. Then they have others. Oh, Captain Lorca. He, he just got he, Captain Lorca I love Jason Isaacs and he goes hey Michael Burnham I want you on my ship why because my ship is going to win the Klingon war by cr- committing lots and lots of war crimes I've kidnapped an animal I want you to torture it and turn it into a weapon by the way look at my office it's filled with war crimes and it's just and he's just I'm just like how is this the f- what and so and they're going no no we're going dark with it it's like DS9 did this and better Imagine, I. DS9 was the war Star Trek series. This is is just. And also, they're having a war with the Klingons, and I don't understand why they're having a war with the Klingons. I don't, like, I don't understand any of the creative choices behind this, this show at all. None of them make any sense. It is not a Star Trek show. It is another show that they've put the word Star Trek across to help sell. Here's the thing. It's a prequel. To what? Is it a prequel to the original series or a prequel to the J.J. Abrams films? Because I don't know, because the technology in here is more advanced that... It's more advanced! It's more advanced. They have holograms, which they didn't have. They can... Te- oh, they have kinetic teleportation. You remember right. we had to stop... Stop. And the Klingons look no. like fish people. <laughs> Three minutes up. Summation. I just, I, 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 I got nothing. <laughs> uh, There's an episode. No, no, no. no. There is <laughs> look. There is an episode where they beam down to a planet in order to force a planet of singing trees to kill Klingons. I've I've slightly I've slightly <laughs> mocked the premise of the episode, but essentially it's an episode where they talk to singing trees in order to help them kill Klingons. Singing tree world. And the only thing I like about it is the engineer who destroyed Kevin Spacey's career. I like him. He's good. Is there he's really good. I like him and I like the way they handle his uh, relationship with the ship's doctor because they're the first openly homosexual relationship in Star Trek and they do it really well I thought it was really nicely done Sounds there's interesting a, there's a really fun time travel episode oh uh, yeah you did tell me about that it was fun that was great fun they keep looping the same day over and over like same 30 minutes rather over and over again it's really cool only the engineer is aware of it and he's losing his mind because <laughs> he's just like I can't keep going through this you guys need to solve this right because he can't solve it but he needs them to like catch up on it or solve it uh, that, so that was a, that was cool, but the, uh, I really like Isaac's. But it's just it's just it, the problem I have with it is fundamentally this: if you want a Star Trek series where you have people talking through holograms, where you can have people teleport as they're jumping through the air, which was something Star Trek can't do. The whole point of the teleport is you have to stand still, mm. like that, you lock on, and all. That. If you're going to do all these crazy technological shifts, because you want to do futurism based on today rather than how the 60s looked at the future. If you want to do that, set the series after DS9 and Voyager. 
There's no reason not to, right? You set it after then. You can have whatever crazy tech you want. You can have, you can have replicators, holodecks. You can have kinetic teleport, whatever. By setting it afterwards, you can get rid of technology you don't want because you can say something has happened while it's not there. You don't have to worry about fitting it into canon and continuity because you can invent new things. So I, th- I thought the whole point of a prequel was finding a hole or a gap in the story. Like, there's got to be something worth right. telling, right? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing. They're just they're inventing these random things that don't make sense, and they're going, trust us, we'll make sense of them later. It was like, no one asked you to do this. Yeah. No one is... You're not exposing something that should be there that no one mentioned like in Better Call Saul he has a brother it's like yeah he should have a family we're going to see his family we're wondering what's he would have had he would have known people before he met Heisenberg what's going to happen to them right well, this is it the whole point of the, one of the joys of Better Call Saul is like how does he get from yeah. Jimmy to Saul like, exactly what? so you have to define who Jimmy is that and all that stuff Discovery. no there's nothing there to set up and you're like I don't I, there's nothing there's nothing about this film that needs to be a prequel uh, oh, sorry the series but needs to be, all of this could have been set after and it would have made more sense. Okay. Anyway. Let's put a button in that and we're yeah. going to end on something good. Doctor Who! You want to end on Doctor Who? What did you want to end on? I thought you wanted to talk about the other Star Trek. Would you want to do a separate Oh, we'll do Trek Continues. Uh, we'll do uh, it in the new year. Yeah, because Trek Continues was awesome. Okay. Uh, it was really good. That's That was that was really wonderful, Trek. Um, it, pays, it pays homage to Star Trek Discovery better than Discovery pays to Star Trek. Because <laughs> uh, there's a wonderful bit, uh, not, not a huge spoiler, um, but Trek, Trek continues. For those of you who don't know, uh, Star Trek continues is a fan-made production made for non-profit. They've made no money out of it. Where they've made it, uh, and it looks the music, the sets, the lighting, everything about it is literally identical to the '60s original series. Mm. It's it's a perfect facsimile. And even the writing style and subject matter is evocative of that time. So it's like an antique. They did it really well. They didn't try to modernize anything. They just went back and as if they they did it as if mm. uh, those show, like as if it was continuing. And they the the episode, they did like eleven episodes. And the last episode, not a huge spoiler, but the last episode ends with them setting up the motion picture. So the right. uniforms change and stuff. And they give the motion picture a sort of context that makes me want to see the motion picture again, even though I didn't like the motion picture at all. I couldn't sit through it uh, a third time, but now I want to sit through it. Um, but at the end, Kirk is in an admiral's office, and there's a wall of model ships, and one of the model ships is the Discovery, which I thought was just amazing. That, that the show, shows a proper love, right? Yeah, they just and the the show is done really well. And as I've said, we well, I, I'm going to try and convince Luke to watch some of it with me, um, so he can has a better frame of reference for it. But um, there is an episode in Trek Continues, and it's episode eight. It's called "What Ships Are For," and it is as good as any Trek series has ever done. Any, it's superb. Uh, the only problem with Trek continues is the acting isn't always great yeah. the guy who plays Kirk is good but everyone else is a bit weak um, and this episode has John Delancey in it who plays Q uh, right. and he's he's one of the main guys so you've got a really really top actor in this episode yeah. uh, and when I say it's the letdown it's it's not terrible the acting or anything it's just it's not it's not it's not of the quality you you would need it's yeah. the one thing that doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Kirk is so good at Kirk, you forget he's not Kirk. Yeah. 
<laughs> he do, he does it without being a cartoon. Yeah, he's just got the mannerisms down, but he's not a cartoon. He does it perfectly. The the acting is fine. It's 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 just the one thing where like it's the only it's, everything else is polished. It's the right? yeah, it's the only blemish I I would suggest, and it's not a huge one at all. It's not it's not something that I only I only bring it up because like I can imagine it might put some people off. Yeah. Um. Uh, so like you know I get that that might be the case, but otherwise, what ships are for? As I say, um. If that had been an original Trek episode, it would be in everyone's top ten. Everyone's. It's just it's superb. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so listen, listeners, thank you. What about Doctor Who? For listening. Do it. Oh, we don't need to talk about Doctor Who, do we? Oh, I love Doctor Who. <laughs> we can do an episode on Doctor Who next year. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. It's been another year. Time has passed. <laughs> Things have happened. That's not what we've been and reduced to. That's what, and 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 you can't deny that. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> thank you for sticking with us, and uh, we'll see you again yeah. in 2018 with more stuff. And get in touch. Tell us what you want us to uh, talk about. Yeah. Um, and thank you to everybody who has done this year. Cause thanks a lot. Much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's funny about that? <laughs> Quieter and quieter. Like you're off in the distance. Bye. Bye. See you guys later. See you later. Bye. Okay. <laughs>